You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean Bradford and not Rick. In Rick's place, we have David Finn of Bridge Distribution, and I'm super excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Hi, yeah. Thanks for uh, letting me actually talk and rattle on for like an hour. So. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, my goal is for you to rattle on like the whole time because I have questions. Now, we really wanted to focus on the topic of shipping and fulfillment and that kind of thing. Deliverance just had its shipping and fulfillment completed for the most part by Bridge Fulfillment. And, you know, we're still delivering in the UK and EU, delivered most other places. And I thought, what better opportunity to actually bring my uh, shipper on from the US on and, and talk about what actually happened as a firsthand case study. But then in addition to that, I was, I was asked by one of your staffers, Matt. He uh, is an awesome dude that got me to sign with Bridge in the first place. He said, okay, now that the shipping is done, we have this extra stock, can we open it up to distribution? Uh, so that distribution can can order. And I told Matt, I have some concerns about that. And uh, for our, our uh, podcast listeners, we've had a couple of episodes where, you know, some of our uh, clients had their stock kind of deep discounted by, you know, other retailers online and really devalued their product a lot so that they couldn't really sell it at full price. They had to sell it for below what they sold it on Kickstarter for because of the deep discounters. And so that was my concern. And I thought we could talk maybe a little bit about how from your end, we can prevent something like that from happening. And so where shall we start? How about with an introduction? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my name is uh, David Finn, I think, as you said. I have a very fancy title. I'm a Chief Financial Officer and Director of Business Development at Bridge Distribution. It's funny enough, that translates to I pack boxes for most of the day and I pay bills most of the evening. So it's, uh, it's not as glamorous as I like to make out in time. Yeah, I'm, I'm also one of the owners of Bridge. Uh, I've been in the industry for, uh, what year is it? 17 years, I think at this point. Uh, I'm a retailer. Uh, I have a publishing company. I have a film company, obviously. But yeah, so that's me. Uh, as I said, we, Bridge is a full-service 3PL company. We do distribution, fulfillment, representation on Amazon. As I said, we publish as well. We basically handle freight from, from warehouse in China to the doors of consumers. So. That's excellent. And, and you recently posted on social media about, you know, fun again, closing was a significant, obviously a very significant moment for all of the other shipping companies, because yeah. as, uh, um, you know, I remember BGG spring back in like 2019, uh, fun again, pitched me to ship the product. And I, I really liked them and they had a lot of business, but because of the whole, you know, shipping crisis during the pandemic, they weren't able to survive it. And because they closed, that caused you to really expand your warehouse. You took a risk to do that, expanding staff and warehouse. But also, what were the effects, not only just in your company, but across the pond, like in the UK and everywhere else? Like, did you see, like, what, just based on your understanding of the industry and ear to the ground here, what happened as a result? It's just delays, mainly, right? I mean, I know, speak on our own regard, like, so we... We have been growing uh, pretty actively for the last few years, um, and we were, we have, we had a full 
plan, organized, everything was, was going nice. We picked up a lot of new clients. In January, we had just moved to a brand new warehouse and we were kind of, the warehouse move went completely sideways. <laughs> it was an absolute disaster for a warehouse move, uh, as, I, as I've discovered all warehouse moves are. Uh, but we were, we were forging ahead. We had a full year of projects lined up for Kickstarter fulfillment. Uh, we have all our daily fulfillment that we do. We had all our sales, our Amazon sales and stuff. And then fun again, announced our closure. Uh, immediately, you know, that was people scrambling. Where are they going to place their products? Where are they going to, how are they going to fulfill their Kickstarters? You know, they might be lining up to fun again, who would have been planning, who would have been organizing their European or Canadian fulfillment. And then that's all thrown to the works. And we basically sat down and in, in, in street openness, we just said, this is, this is, it's terrible. They're closing, but this is an opportunity to grow the company that might never happen again for a while. So we made the decision to, to massively expand and take on a lot of clients and also to help because knowing with small publishers, like knowing in the industry, big distribution wants big moves, right? They don't want small one game publishers or, or, or they don't want, they're not going to buy like three, 5,000 copies or unless it's something like Wingspan or, or Gloomhaven, right? Knowing that once Fun Again was going on, or these people might find hard to find placements, we start working with all of them saying, hey, if you want to come work with Bridge, we just expanded our warehouse. We're going to, we're going to have to expand again, hire more staff. And we will organize all your shipments as one so we consolidated all the published into one truck rather than having to like plan it all separately and get them to us. The side effect, of course, with that was we onboarded something like 65 new publishers in the next like three months. Wow. And then we took on a lot of their Kickstarter projects and basically our year of Kickstarter projects became two years worth of Kickstarter projects in one year, which is quite stressful. I used to have much more hair on the front of my head. Like it's, it's been receded a lot in the last year for just probably pulling it out and it was, but it was great. I mean, our team really stepped up. We've had a few miss hits. Obviously we've, we've, we've had stuff that sometimes it just doesn't go right. Uh, or someone new steps into a project not aware of and packs something wrong. But I think we've overall, we've really, we've really done well on it. I mean, I think as I posted on Facebook the other day, we've done 21 projects in the last three months, which is a 3.6 days, a project, which mm -hmm. <laughs> was insane. When I actually, when I sat down and actually looked at it, I was, I was, I was mesmerized by it because I'm like, that is. It's incredible. And then, you know, you look at the error rate and I take everything personally. You know, I had a publisher recently who's, who's a fantastic partner of ours, but they sent me a message of here's the feedback from backers and they're really annoyed by some damages on their boxes. And when I opened it up, uh, it was like 12 comments, you know, because people on Kickstarter and GameFounder mean about how we were terrible and we didn't care about anyone and we had no ideas in long-term business and mm -hmm. our box were damaged. Yeah, that affects you, right? You're, you're not very happy with it. And then you have to put in perspective, there's 12 in that project that was 2,500 orders. I mean, that's not even 0.5%, which is where we sit. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. you're kind of like stepping back and go, okay, we're doing, we're doing pretty okay. And then I actually went to their GameFound because I like to try comments on some of them and, and set people straight if I can. Mm -hmm. and find the ones that were actually nice comments about us, which are very few. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually what really sparked the whole, my whole Facebook post was that I was so annoyed with like people being super negative. I was like, well, no, we're doing good things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I find it's actually quite easy for a, somebody on social media in particular to rail again. And actually it's quite damaging. It can be quite damaging to reputation where somebody rails against a, another company unchecked and I find that they do that not just because they're mean, but because that company has no face, no yeah. personality. That that's just a an inanimate object. They might as well be yelling at a rock for all that they uh, feel it will hurt others' yeah. feelings. They feel that your company will never 
listen to the feedback. It'll never, you know, it's you're too big to fail kind of thing. And yeah. so they just are kind of un, unchecked, unreserved, unrestrained. And I think that that extra that extra human touch of like actually there are people behind this and we're trying our best is the right response in yeah in every it is. Case. you know we we try to make one thing we try to do a bridge is I said stuff stuff goes wrong and we've had stuff that's gone absolutely disastrously wrong sometimes like that just it just happens right and it always seems to happen to the same person which is mm-hmm. which is the worst part right it's that same person who's always getting uh, you know this box is wrong this box is damaged my freight got lost or uh, and half times not even your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to step. There's a dozen scorpions in my box. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, very interesting because you have this perspective that comes from not only the manufacturing side, but with Gigamech, you have a retail facility that, you know, I'm I'm presuming you sell a lot of board games to locals. You play a lot of cards, a lot of you know everything like a normal retail shop would. Mm-hmm. And then you also have you are a publisher. Yep. So. I, if I pitch deliverance to you, you may have been able to produce it, ship it, and and all the things. It's just interesting because you have all this insider knowledge that I personally find very valuable as a uh, just as a creator, somebody at the helm that knows what I'm going through, yeah. <laughs> who understands the pain. So kind of going back to the history of Bridge, like that's one of the reasons we we opened up Bridge as well as I have been a retailer for 17 years. I actually moved to the states uh, from Ireland. 2000 or 2007. Um, if y'all were wondering why he has a sexy accent, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lack of coffee so coffee right now, so it's all very droll. So I moved, opened up a retail in 2007. Have been doing retail for years, and eventually around 2015, was getting so frustrated with trying to get my hands on product, small small publishers, because the same way we want to have a full service three uh, PL logistics, it comes from my full service retail store where we serve food, we serve alcohol, we, we have full gaming tables, we do events. And one thing we wanted to differentiate ourselves from was having different products, products that nobody else has, because everyone has magic, everybody has asthma day, everyone has games workshop, but not everybody has shield wolf miniatures from Cyprus or, uh, you know, Titan Forge from, from uh, Poland. So we were trying to get these products, could not get them, distributors could not stock them, would not stock them, um, because they're not super fast movers you know they're they're, they're often pay up front margins and distribution are very small the cost to get from europe is very expensive but i got so frustrated i actually started reaching out directly to the publishers and i said listen i want to carry your products what do i have to do you're not in the states at this point myself and my brother had a company we were amazon selling 3pl uh fba selling so we buy books and dvds and cds and we sell them on amazon so we had a space and i'm like listen i have a space you can store your products with me. We will distribute them, sell them. And that was kind of the genesis of Bridges, Bridge Distribution Fulfillment. And as it kind of grew, it, it became selling to other retailers, selling to other consumers, then fulfilling the orders and kind of growing up and growing up and growing up. And uh, at, the, at the beginning, as you said, it was very, very easy at the start to be directly comments. Like we try, we have, as you know, we have our Slack, we try to respond a lot. We have our email, we try to be active on social media. And it was very, very easy to be that face, right? To be there every day. And everyone talked to me, David, uh, because it was me, David, and maybe yeah. like five other people. And then as it grew and grew and grew, it kind of, it gets a little harder to, to have that face and people become a little bit more distant and mean and stuff can slip through cracks. And now we're a staff of, between the two companies, I think it's like 54 people and 150 publishers on Bridges side. She'll try to, to fight that fight of having a constant active, because that's the big thing is communication. 
And uh, that's the one thing we, we, we're struggling with right now with autogrowth, with everything. Because you know you want to ask about your, your, your project and how it's going. It's, it's getting that constant communication because, we can't, one, we kind of bred into people at the very start that we communicate immediately. And it just can't happen as much anymore. And two, that I used to be directly on everyone. And if I did that now, I'd be up for like 27 hours a day. <laughs> and I think in negative, negative time and uh, yeah. yeah we kind of experienced that as well where people some of our clients want to work directly with Andrew but like it's just it's not physically possible it's just not enough time in the day and you know Andrew's got so many things on this plate so I think that just is the nature as, as you grow as a company I'm really interested in knowing how did you guys connect originally uh, myself and Andrew yeah. So it was uh, Matt McCain reached yeah. out and was like, "Hey, I like Deliverance. I wanna, I wanna sell it. I wanna, I wanna be your your fulfillment company." Yeah. And I had, you know, at the time, Fun Again was still in business, and we had uh, Quartermaster, Fun Again, and Bridge. Bridge was like the smallest name of those three, rather the least, the one I knew least about. Mm-hmm. And then there were others that were like D six fulfillment. I want to say which which did Gloomhaven. And then I, I heard of, I've heard of a couple of others, but there was this one that came out of nowhere that uh, was very interesting. And this was a friend of mine. We're talking that, you know, we, you know, we've done a couple of their projects, but they were like, we're going with this other company that is like an exclusive UPS re like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we're going to go with them because they have killer rates and this and that. I'm like, well, get me into like, give me a meeting. You know, I had a meeting and I was like, I really like those guys because their rates are hecka cheap. And <laughs> they, and then I, you know, I got back next week. I was like, Hey, you know, I've been thinking, and actually you, you became the finalist with this other company. And I was yeah. like this, um, you know, quartermaster felt like, I don't want to talk negative about anybody, but because of the whole shipping thing, I don't feel like it's, it's negativity. It's just, they were too busy for me. I thought, yeah. You know, I wasn't getting responses at, at that time in a quick enough manner. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I sign up with this company, will I, will it be like that? And so kind of disqualified them. They, I think they're probably the A-list shipper um, in the Kickstarter space at, at the time, at least. And, and then this, this other company told me, actually, we're only taking projects that are $250,000 and above in yeah. shipping fees. Yeah. Like, man, that's not good. So you're basically taking Battletech and that's it. It's like, you know, they were, they actually had a meeting scheduled. They thought I was the Battletech people. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, no, sorry. I'm a lowly $60,000 shipping project or whatever. <laughs> and so that's when I turned back to Matt and I was like, hey, Matt, you win. You know, I was like, you were second place, but I got rejected by my first place preference or whatever. And it was very much, uh, what is what do you call serendipity or uh, kind of a divine appointment because I had considered you guys, but hadn't really heard a lot about you. And, you know, I, I really liked Matt. I trusted him. I thought, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this. And then, uh, you know, who's this David Finn guy? Um, yeah. Who is that guy? <laughs> so that's where we, we were like, all right, uh, we're going to do this. And you guys ended up doing a really Really good job. Like, spoiler alert: they, I'm probably their biggest, smoothest project of the whole year. I don't know. Is oh, that yeah. is that true? And yeah, it is. And uh, and and that makes a whole new meaning when you consider your game was like ten pounds, which I hate ten pound games. Don't forget the number of SKs I had. 
Uh, you had forty something. Yeah, t-shirts. You had t-shirts. Yeah, t-shirts in my band. But it just went. It went so smooth. It was. It was really, really nice. From the moment the containers landed to the counts being just perfect, to putting the SKUs in, putting the orders in, getting the any address changes in were were perfect, and then just packing just kind of went very quickly and smoothly. And it's funny. I actually was amazed because I actually went on vacation for the end. Like I think the fulfillment probably took what ten days. 10 business days or so ish yep mm-hmm. I'd, so say, was, I'd say like two to three weeks of time to yeah, get all yeah. this mm-hmm. so i was i was out for the end of it I, I had gone on vacation and i came back and i was like all right how's deliverance going they're like oh no we finished that like four days ago i'm like <laughs> what <laughs> okay That's this awesome. is fantastic what's what's going on so yeah it was it was really really nice and i think it but it's as you said like you had never really heard of us before and that's that's why it's nice to have these products that go really great because and and why it's terrible when you know you take a person when people say mean things about you online <laughs> much is it's all reputation based it's all word of mouth based these days because you hear about you, you probably went with that company because you heard UPS right first right so, but the rates are great cool but it's UPS right mm-hmm. um, and then you I, yeah. you find the reality is not matching and a lot of a lot of the history of the industry is that it's like. These guys are the top dogs of fulfillment, but why? Why are they the top dogs? Why? Why? Why is Quartermaster better than Gamerati? You know, why are they better than? But like, you know, these different different companies. Why are like uh, Flying Cloud? Why? Why are Flying Cloud here and Bridges here? And it's all it all becomes word of mouth more than anything else. And then once you get in, you have to like have that level of service yep. that, that makes you keep going back and forth. And that's what we kind of that's what we want to do. Yeah, and that's that's our current struggle right now. To be honest, is keeping that level up. Uh, while still keeping the projects go smoothly. So thank you for having a, a project that keeps my metrics up. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Anytime and every time. Yeah, there you go. So where where I'd really like to spend some time is kind of in the in the middle of everything as it was all happening. We had a backer say, "Oh, I just got a tracking label, but my address is incorrect." Mm-hmm. Like, Why did you wait so long? I spent yeah. so long trying to tell everybody update your addresses. And you actually were like, oh, yeah, hang on a second. I'll find that box. You managed to find a box in a pile and pull off the whatever, you know, p- put a new packing sticker on it, mm-hmm. right? And it 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 made it to the backer without a problem. And that happened a couple of times, I want to say. It was like I, I asked you to, you know, track a package and we found it was either on the factory floor or – something else and we ended up um getting it taken care of yeah you can and often, if you're lucky with fedex you can often reroute it but it's it's never 100 percent. but often if it, if it hasn't left yet so the kind of like if you if you want i can go through the kind of process of how it works so yeah yeah you know uh maybe mention also there were backers that were like i got my tracking label generated and then like a week later the tracking label is still saying like yeah. waiting for pickup or whatever. So yeah. t- talk, talk us through that process. So, so typically we don't. So what a lot of, of publishers or logistics houses do is like you give us 2000 orders and they'll print 2000 labels and then those labels spit out the machine and they pack as they go. So that's where a lot of happens where, where someone gets a label printed and then it doesn't move for a few weeks. What we do is we work in batches, right? So it breeds a separate issue because people go, well, you know, I'm in New York and I ordered this product, but my neighbor got it like five days ago. Why? <laughs> well, the reason is he ordered something different to you. So you had, oh, how many, how big was your product? Actually, let me see if I can bring it up my computer. You, you had like a 2,600, was it? 2,600 mm-hmm. orders? Close to it. Yep. And 42 skews. <laughs> so you had a very, <laughs> a very skewed, dense product. So what we do is we, it, 
or for example, splits it into batches. So if if 500 people order only the core game, they're in a batch of 500. Then if people order the core game, the angel miniatures, core game, acrylic stands, someone who mm -hmm. a lot of people order everything, and then all the different shirt sizes and spits out different batches. And so we have our stations and we at Bridge, we have three teams, right? So we have our Alpha, our, our Bravo, and our charity team, as we call it. And the way it works is our Alpha team, they work on the highest batches, right? So your highest batch was probably deluxe boxes or all ins. Yeah, probably one or the other, right? It was just the deluxe boxes and all ins. And that allows them. So, say with the deluxe boxes, we would print out that batch of 500 orders and then it would be disseminated to the team. So, when that person had that address issue, I can go, okay, it's in this batch. It went to that table, to that team, that table. So, it should be on this pallet. And it's before 12 or before one o'clock. So, FedEx hasn't come yet. I can kick it out, or if 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 the order was printed after twelve o'clock, I can I can find it. Now, if if they come to me after twelve o'clock and the order is printed before twelve o'clock, there they might be a lot. So that's kind of how it works with with the order flow. And then so our alpha team does all the biggest batches. A bravo team, as we like to call them, is the one that's I usually lead. Uh, I do what I like to call the pain in the ass orders. Um, so orders <laughs> that are complex. Orders that are heavy, orders that have you know really strange box sizes and weights, and or retail orders because they're very very heavy, right? So uh, I like to try mm -hmm. to train off them because it's pretty much the only exercise I get anymore <laughs> besides chasing kids. And so that's that's the Bravo team. So if you ever have a retail order, that's usually me touching it to make sure it's it's getting box corners. Or if you have something that has like four different types of shirts, I did a lot of your shirt orders. Mm -hmm. And then our charity team, our, our third team are the ones who might do smaller projects. So at the same time, we're managing your big project. We're spitting out smaller or simple projects. So uh, we did, for example, Cosmoctopus at the same time as you. Mm -hmm. And that another project that went absolutely perfectly smoothly because our, our tertiary team took it and that project was core games, plushes and pins. And it was just three SKUs. Three SKUs, Andrew. Yep. Wow. <laughs> and, I, uh, one can dream. Yeah, one can dream. So I'll Phil, be to one shirt next time. So Phil and his team, it's Phil, Crow, and Echo. They took that and they just crushed it. I mean, they're just like pack, 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 pack. And like, that's flying at the same time. And then when I finished your retail orders, I would jump to theirs and do their retail orders because they would have retail orders that would be like 24 copies or 30 copies or, and go back and forth. And that's kind of how it works with the flow. So we spell out the orders. Typically, they should be packed in the next day or two when the order is generated, goes onto a pallet. We ship mainly with USPS or FedEx, as you know, very rarely UPS for us uh, because the reason they can look so cheap to you is because they're exorbitantly expensive to us. <laughs> <laughs> so when they go, hey, we can ship your stuff for yeah. $10 and we're like, that's $20 because they're making $10 extra. Well, not $10, they're probably making like So it goes on, gets backed up, goes onto the pallets. Then we have to get UP, USPS or FedEx to come pick up the pallets. They take it to their facilities. Theoretically, they scan the boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they don't scan the boxes. And that's why you get people saying their product's not moving because they literally don't scan from pick up to go. And then from there, it goes to sorting, goes to the final mile and delivers to the person. So typically, uh, like the whole process of packing the shipping, once a batch is printed, should take maybe five, six days. Business mm -hmm. days obviously, right? Because you can never count Saturday Sunday. Right. So it does yeah, happen, but sometimes stuff falls through the cracks and, you know, it gets printed on a Monday. It doesn't get packed Wednesday. Mm -hmm. USPS doesn't pick it up on Thursday because they, in our area, we have a problem with carriers where the, the drivers don't want to come work. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you actually miss pickups because they won't come to your warehouse. 
So it's picked up Thursday, goes to the facility on Friday, nobody touches it till Monday. And then the person goes, my thing hasn't moved in a week. Yes. <laughs> yep. So, and, that, and that's one of the realities of like, you know, we're the, we're the front face. So people are like hitting us up on social media and going, you guys are terrible because you don't pack stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> or email me, hit my inbox. Yeah. It, it, it all moves pretty quickly. You know, I, I'll say from, from the publisher's end, I underestimated how a couple of things, but number one was, uh, so first of all, I'm, I'm very, very thankful that we went through the effort to develop communities. I find to be able to answer worried backers questions quickly and also have my fans answer those questions when I'm not there, mm-hmm. that stopped a lot of fires before, you know, unnecessary fires before they got out of control. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me of, like, I, so I was 12 years old when Final Fantasy VII and the PlayStation came out. It was Christmas. I feel like I'm Raymond Reddington from The Blacklist right now, telling a, a story, but it'll it'll relate. <laughs> so the uh, so it was Christmas of like '97 or something, and and um, I really wanted a PlayStation. I really wanted Final Fantasy VII, and before Christmas, I still remember to my embarrassment, I cried to you know I was talking to my mom and I cried because I wanted it so bad, <laughs> and it was under the tree. Actually, Final Fantasy VII was not, but we managed to get to. You know, the PlayStation was, which was the thing that was sold out, right? Yeah. And it was like Turbo Man. Um, so we ended up going after Christmas or like on Christmas Day to, um, at the time, it was Electronics Boutique, which turned into GameStop. And um, we we grabbed Final Fantasy VII, and it was a legendary time, and it was so awesome. I look forward to it so much. And my backers, a lot of them were just like that. I want to say about 15% of our backers were first-time Kickstarter backers and that actually that number doesn't ex- include all the pre-orders so we did a lot of pre we had about 400 additional pre-orders that came in afterward and i'm not sure what percentage of them had been exposed to the kickstarter process before you know, the crowdfunding process but um there were a lot of people that would say you know as soon as people started posting their tracking number was generated that the email they got you know everyone's asking what what email did it come from and you know where is it? And then there were people that were like, you know, and I was trying to keep people updated and, you know, on regularly on Facebook and discord, I remember posting messages, you know, kind of to really arm my community with information so that they could share because a lot of the time someone else is going to get to a post before me. Yeah. And so they, you know, if they, if they were able to share the the facts with uh, another backer, that would be, you know, excellent. There were so many backers that were like, Four days in, they were like, I am beyond worried at this point that I'll ever receive my game. It's like, oh my goodness. It reminds me of my 12-year-old self with Final Fantasy on, you know, and and the PlayStation on December 24th, just freaked out, seeing the presents, not sure that any one is quite shaped like a PlayStation box, you know, and... um, Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And then that starts to, that rattles you as mm -hmm. the publisher, right? Because you're like, well, what the hell's going on? And a lot of time, but it, you know, again, it's all about how you breed that community, right? Cause if you have that positive community who reassure that person and then mm-hmm. you're being reassuring and then, you know, mm-hmm. we can reassure you and it's like, Oh, it's still moving. And yeah, look at you, you backed it up with stuff is actually moving mm-hmm. uh, because one of the worst things in products that happens is people start to panic on the Kickstarter and um, the publisher starts feeding into that. And starts worrying and like it's great to listen and re- have them but you have to reassure them and understand that they are going to be panicky mm-hmm. and then if the publisher starts to panic they start to panic at you 
And then you're like, what the hell is going yeah. on? We're packing it. Because we have a few of those as well, right? Where, you know, we had we had one that, um, you know, people were like, it's outrageous. Uh, it's delivering in Europe, but it hasn't delivered to you guys yet. And, or you guys haven't started shipping. And Bridges had it for three months. And we're sitting going, container hasn't even hit the port yet. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, but the bend the publishers panic because obviously I don't understand what's going on at Bridge. And they're emailing us yelling. And it kind of like, sours that whole relationship we were like well what the hell yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's uh, so important to have uh i i use this concept a firm hand on the wheel you need to appear as as a publisher running a project you need to appear as though you are in control yeah. and you need to not fuel the the fire and and uh you need to be the you know you need to put out fires yeah. right and so my memes probably didn't help with that <laughs> Uh, yeah, we had, we had, uh, people, I mean, it, our, our group had like 10, 12 posts a day on, right. on Facebook, just of memes and, and maybe more sometimes, but memes, people getting their tracking information, people sharing memes that were like, you know, Mr. Bean waiting, looking at his watch or tumbleweeds rolling across the, the camera, <laughs> you know, and uh, it was really that, fun. Yeah, Pablo Escobar. Yes. Yes. And then, but others were like, Hey guys, you know, don't, don't hurt Andrew's feelings with all these memes. It's mean that you guys do that. And so I was actually putting out videos like, Hey guys, uh, here's some information. Also, I need the memes to continue. They add light to my life. I, I appreciate that. I want everybody to know the memes must continue. And then it, it really kind of helped ease the, the group. And by the end of our shipping process, because people were one, actually one of the main things that they were concerned about was that as you said earlier, David, someone in California, received their game and it was my neighbor. Where's yeah. mine? I haven't even had my tracking level generated. Yeah. And so what I, what I started saying was, Oh, don't worry. And this actually really helped. We're saving the best for last. There you go. And so I, I, I would tell people it's because we're saving the best for last. And um, you know, and then people started to actually, it was their goal to be the last. Yeah. I said, whoever's last is going to be in the game. Like we'll put you in the game, you know, and yeah. just as a joke. We did that. Uh, we did the final girl fulfillment for, for season two for Ben Ryder. And I actually per, per, personally packed the very last box. And inside, I took a sharpie and roll and said, You are the final girl. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. I don't know. If That's you cool. that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I did notice within Andrew's community that backers went through three stages. They went through, uh, so when someone shared that they received a, a parcel, a package, the, the first reaction was a shock it's like, oh, this has happened and then the second <laughs> second phase of of the reaction was awesome like, this is amazing i can't believe this is actually happening and then yeah. the third phase was envy <laughs> and that was, it was basically cycles of that going on and on and on i can't believe you guys but i didn't <laughs> and then we had trolls so let's talk yes. about trolls because the so there were there were two types of trolls that i had maybe three one type was just mad because they didn't get their thing and they were, you know, and that was the, the group that I could put out with the fire, you know, you know, the, the, like, I'm beyond worried the I'm beyond worried people. Mm -hmm. Then you had the troll that had a ding on the box corner. Oh, we have to talk about those last. Yeah. But I, I had a really special troll. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee is like the, the editor of the Babylon Bee. Mm -hmm. He Babylon bead my campaign. He would just, um, he would just write like, is this, is this a scam? Is this fake? You know, like in our group and <laughs> everybody would, just, 
feed into it. Nobody realized who this was. And it was so funny, but I had to damage control every time. And <laughs> it was like, you know, because he would write in a way that was like so convincing that mm-hmm. somebody just completely noob and doesn't understand. And they're writing, is this fake? And uh, so that was funny. But let's talk about the ding box corner because so to give some background, I was looking for some, uh, so I, I launched our website, playdeliverance.com. I included a support page that had information if you had damaged parts, but I was concerned because I've always heard that the box was the most expensive part. It's a, by volume, it's the same size as a game filled with stuff in it. And so it's going to be generally a similar price for the, for shipping a box, right? Yep. And so the, uh, the difficult part is, you know, how, what do you do with something like that? And so I read on, there were a couple of websites that I looked at, um, Dice Throne by Roxley. I looked at Chip Theory Games and other established companies. And I found something that I really, really liked, which was uh, something about, in fact, I have it on my website right here. I can take a look. This line helped me a lot. As long as we have stock available, we will replace any part that affects your ability to play the game. We cannot provide free replacements for cosmetic imperfections or minor damage that does not affect gameplay. And that line saved me. Every box, every box that got a ding on it, I no longer had to had to replace. I could offer people the ability to pay. It was like fifteen bucks shipping, and you know, twenty bucks for the cost of the box. Yeah. So I, I only replaced like one box because it I was. Know, that's kind of the way it has to be because there has been just kind of, you know, it's it's kind of going on to a whole nother thing of unrealistic expectations that have been bred into the into the industry for the last few years, and it really hurts. Like everybody from the top down, you know, and Amazon's to blame with that, right? For purpose, because they're reporting losses to be mm-hmm. top of mind and, and expecting like next day or same day shipping mm-hmm. uh, and question free replacements. But nobody understands if you, like if you sell an Amazon express replacement, Amazon doesn't reimburse the seller for all their fees. Right. Uh, and then you're, you're there, the seller, like somebody is a seller, for example, I send you a shipment, you commit damaged box. I lose that shipment sale. I lose the product and then I have to lose their shipping to replace. And the same thing in a Kickstarter, if you pay and a lot of times because people have bred unrealistic expectations, often the ship, the, the publisher is subsidizing shipping, right? So right. it could be 20, 25, you have a 20 pound game. Your 10 pound game probably average shipping. I, I haven't looked at it, but it's probably like $22 maybe mm-hmm. right? for the whole product, yep. uh, each item, 22, $25. Yep. If you had subsidized that at fifteen dollars, when you're starting that gate down ten dollars, mm-hmm. and then they expect a free replacement, as you said, you got to buy the box, and then they don't want to pay for the shipping, so you're down because it's in box, it's still volumetric shipping rather than weight shipping, so you're still probably paying twenty dollars mm-hmm. shipping because <laughs> well, it probably be volumetric at like five pounds, so it might be another fifteen dollars, but suddenly you're you're down twenty five thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. Because of this ding tiny corner that, as you said, doesn't inspect the game. Now, if, if someone had a gash, yep, ripped off, um, then sure. And as I said, you know, I mentioned earlier, I had a publisher complain, or, or not complain, but he sent me the feedback. Of the 12 messages, nine of them were dinged corners. Mm-hmm. Two of them were saying that we had a product for three months and never shipped it, which was false. Uh, we had it for a month and we were directed to ship that product. It was three, we, we received three products at once. We were directed to, to ship this project last of the three. So we had the product for a month. They said mm-hmm. three. And the 12th one was the shipping box was absolutely mangled and destroyed. However, everything inside was pristine. 
like, I can't believe Bridge is the worst. My shipping box is absolutely wrecked. Luckily, everything inside is pristine and perfect. And I'm looking at reading going, so the box is job. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 75% is just ding cars. That's mm-hmm. their complaint. And you're just like, come on. I mm-hmm. Who's seen Ace Ventura? Him kicking that box down the street is not that far from the truth of how mm-hmm. boxes are dealt. I've seen how shippers deal with boxes. Yeah. It's insane. And we always try, you know, we always try to reassure the publisher. And one reason we posted that infographic right with our thing, we have a 0.5% damage rate on our boxes, right? The reason being the industry average is 3% and the acceptable rate for carriers is UPS is five, FedEx or USPS is six and FedEx is seven. That's the Mm. acceptable damage rate. Wow. Part of what we're, again, going back to to what we're trying to do is be open and honest and, and try to read expectations and not give false promises where we can is people have to align their expectations as well. Mm-hmm. Average corners is insane to me. It, it really is. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's important for publishers to realize that as well so that they have, as Andrew, you said, a policy for damaged corners mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that they know these kind of objections before they, they come up. Because if you're, if you're doing your first Kickstarter and suddenly there's a bunch of complaints of damaged corners and you haven't prepared for that, well, it could yeah. be quite costly to replace those those boxes. Well, a big thing, a big problem with, you know, I said doing a first Kickstarter as well is you're going in, you don't know. I've done a couple of Kickstarters. I've hated every Kickstarter I've ever done, um, like publish and launch. I, I don't, because I don't, I don't, I miss, I miss something and, it, and you know, I don't plan for something and I take it personally when it, it hits me. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it is that, like, that's a big thing as well for first time publishers because kind of prepare for almost every eventuality. Don't subsidize the shipping because you're going to be out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Don't pay for people's VAT. How the publisher do that? She's paid for everyone's VAT. And That's what I did. Did you do that too? Yeah, but it was awesome. I'll tell you what. I, I have I have a guy. I agree with you. It's a terrible idea and you shouldn't. Do yeah. That. Well, no. So, so, but it kind of goes. My secret is that I'm a billionaire. But yeah. Sure. yeah. But were you aware? You, you, were willing, you were aware that was going to be. 20 percent right and you were, you were willing to take that that hit to grow the well, so I, I i had a higher margin product but i had a guy that was that was able to calculate every vat every country okay. every, you know by averages and and that sort of thing and we figured out that it was about three dollars a game uh, that i could spread across all my games oh okay. so u.s backers pay three bucks more in shipping gotcha is basically what uh, yeah so so you but you didn't you you didn't Pay that out of pocket though you had a plan correct yes yeah I did have a plan yes so the, the person i'm person I'm with is they paid out of pocket they said mm-hmm. well i want to make sure my backers are happy and something like nine thousand dollars it's fine right it was nine and a half thousand dollars and he was like why is my bill this high i was like because we have to collect that yeah and i said well why what are you going to do is it we're going to pay the government mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was really it was really bad but it's one thing as a first-time publisher he didn't understand it's because he thought he had to please the people and the thing i said to him is yep. you have european backers i'm european i lived with VAT for 22 years till i moved to the states VAT's just a way of life nobody you taking it you covering that and and sovereign doesn't do anything for them right you're you're breeding an unhealthy expectation because they're already used to paying that every day of the week mm-hmm. right on every single product it's yeah, I, when i look at kickstarters i just instinctively add 20 to 30 percent yeah. to the pledge and that's just what well, i just learned to do that but it's great you had a plan when you you basically eased it out so you weren't you weren't eating that cost i would still mm-hmm. say in future though you know, people expect right 
Honestly, it's, it's, and it's even it's even more sketchy now than when than when I did it because of I mean the EU. I'm pretty convinced the EU doesn't want anyone to ship anything into the European Union. That that's their goal to make sure that no one can ship anything in there oh, yeah. that's outside of the EU. Yes, it's it's very unnecessarily complex, and uh, a lot of and frankly, a lot of our our clients are saying we don't want to ship there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, let's let's talk to like Games Quest or talk to your your UK shipper because they'll ship into the UK because yeah. one country and they're bad and everything is good. You know, English speaking, a lot of backers of of campaigns come from the UK. But I mean, for me, we had you know a hundred backers from the UK and two hundred fifty backers from the EU. Yeah, and it's like, do I do I really want? I mean, if I could make it work, do I want? to have 250 fewer backers or, or whatever. And that's just my first project. So maybe, and we did not advertise into the EU uh, yeah. very much. We focused on the U S because we had limited advertising budget, but I, yeah. I feel like, you know, in, in many projects, the, you know, U S accounts for about 65% of your orders. And then the EU is like your number two. Yeah. You know, um, it is. So- and, and, and I think that's the right bet. Uh, the right move is to just, have, especially if you're US based, right? Is not worried too much about it's horrible to say, but not worry about too much about them for the, for the EU. But and then you just find someone who can handle A to Z again. So, like, we have a European warehouse, right? So, we, we can do it, or we work with uh, Zatu in the UK or, or Serpent Meeple uh, in mm-hmm. France. Um, so, there's a lot of different companies you can do who will handle. And now, like, things like GameFound, who will take your bat and pay that upfront, makes it very mm-hmm. easy as well. That's nice. That's nice yeah. to do that. But, yeah, and, and, and to kind of like re revisit something that you said, a lot of, especially first timers, but it, it can happen with, you know, second, third timers, you know, you, um, what I find is that a lot of people that are first timers, especially will bring their own biases into their campaign. And if, for example, if somebody is working a job there and they're very price conscious, we'll say they don't make a lot of money. They're very price conscious themselves. Mm-hmm. They sort of project that onto their backers and they, and they, uh, we always talk about the offer and we talk about like the price that you're manufacturing this game for the price that you need to sell it for. If you want to make the whole retail chain work, like this is a lot of con- consulting that I do with clients on, um, behind the scenes. And a lot of the time they're like, all right, I, I think I should sell it. I know that, you know, I, it costs me $10 to, to make it. We'll just say $10 landed cost. That means you need that minimum five times that to make the whole retail chain work. And uh, so it should be a $49 product, but they're, but they're like, you know, I just, I, I want to come in with our first project and be, um, you know, like low price so that I can get, you know, my foot in the door. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I build trust and then my next project, you know, will be better. It's like, you know, you are telling me that you want to make 10 less dollars per unit, that you're going to cut your, t- the top of the revenue by 20%. And have the same expenses. Yeah, this is a terrible idea. If you're a profit and you're money. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're you know if your margin is like fifty percent, you're telling me that you are and and you cut twenty percent of that. You are cutting your margin by forty percent. Forty percent of the money that you would make at the end of the day is gone. Yeah, because of a choice that you make before anything even starts. Like, don't do that. Make the backers happy. Usually, is what they say. Right. But it doesn't, you know, what's funny to me is that backers only see the prices that you put in front of them. And as long as it's a fair value, you know, like if it's a $50 product, they're not expecting minis. 
if it's a $90 product like Deliverance or a $100 product, like I better have some minis in there. And so anyway, it's just, it's just one of those things that I think it's a, it's a huge mistake that people make that can really kind of capsize their venture before they even begin, because you need, you need money in order to make it work. And if you get to the end of the project and you're back where you started because you have no money left because you spent all of it. And, you know, then you, you would have really appreciated having that extra 40% of your margin to yeah. actually fund well, I, your next game. A lot of people don't think of that, right? They're not, they're not thinking, they're, they're thinking, I only want to please the backers. I want to make sure they're happy. I don't want to miss out. That's the same thing in retail, right? Where people are like, oh, well, I want to sell everything at 20, 25% off to please my backers. You're like, well, the rent and the government don't care that you discount. They want their pound of flesh and they're charging you full. And the, the customer doesn't care. But Kickstarter actually is the one place where you can charge what a product is actually worth and no one will question it. And people don't mm -hmm. recognize that, right? Because um, even if you are, if you are, as I said, you're putting your own bias into it, being price conscious, but Kickstarter is not somewhere for bias conscious people, right? It is literally a luxury website. Right. So if you make a product and people want that product, whether you charge $40, $50, $60, they're going to back that no matter what, right? They're not going to care. I I don't look at the price of a game on Kickstarter if I back it, right? As a, as a retailer, I don't, I don't look at what it's going to cost me uh, I do. I look at the down payment. What's going to cost me, right? Because I don't want to pay a thousand dollars now for a game I received in two years. But if it's going to cost me a thousand dollars overall, it costing nine hundred, eight hundred is not going to make me buy it more, um, because I'm going to question well, why is he discounting? <laughs> um, but if you only look at that short term view, I want to get it now. And if you're stepping into the game first, or the only way to get people to buy my game is to discount. It's it's not a good start. And as you said, at the end of the project, once you've paid everybody out for all the the unexpected stuff that will inevitably pop up. Mm -hmm. Can you afford to make your second game, make your reprint, grow your company? You know, and if that's not your goal, if you just want to make a game and, and, and that's what you want to do, that's fine. But if you want to like make a company and make a game and make a brand, you know, you have to start thinking where you're, you're charging the right amount, paying the right amount, choosing the right logistics from A to Z, basically. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.